Paul visited Ephesus and preached the gospel and the churches were formed and says that all of Asia heard the word. And uh, there were such miracles. It says in Acts 19 that Paul's handkerchief, uh, where that touched his body, would touch a man who would be demon-possessed and the demons would flee at just at the touch of Paul's handkerchief. And it was a powerful revival. And uh, churches were, were planted and many people were baptized. And now <clears throat> when Paul writes to the Ephesians, uh, some years have gone by. There's some debate on exactly how many years, but it's long enough that some people haven't even met the Apostle Paul. Uh, and in fact, uh, he says, I have heard of your faith in chapter 1, verse 15. He'd heard of them. They'd heard of him. But uh, he's in prison uh, at this point in time. He refers to that in chapter 3, verse 1. He's a prisoner for Jesus Christ. So years have gone by, and the, the, rev the great revival of Acts 19 has now evaporated. Paul is now a hardly a household word. He's in, he's in prison and he's uh, locked away from ministering to them. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, it says uh, to Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, you've left your first love. So there's been a decline spiritually in Ephesus. There's been an absence of the apostle for several years. And how do you, what is he going to say when he writes now to the Ephesians? What, what is he going to say to them? Now you'd think he, you know, uh, like a good preacher would, he might uh, criticize and condemn, but he doesn't. And this is what you, this beautiful uh, first chapter of Ephesians, he opens it up by simply rehearsing the wealth of the Christian. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He begins by talking about how much God has blessed them. And, and that's a, uh, a, a bit of a fresh approach to renewal. Not as we are prone to do, let's do something for God to get back to where we were, but let's ponder anew what God has already done for us. This is his approach. He says he's blessed us in verse 3. In verse 4, he chose us. In verse 5, he predestined us. In verse 7, we have, we have past tense redemption. In verse 8, he lavished upon us wisdom and insight. The, he just simply says, here's what God has done for you. Not here's what you ought to be doing. 
But here's what God has done. The wealth and riches of, of God. I think this is the theme, um, the, the idea of riches. In chapter 1, verse 7, there's the riches of his grace. Chapter 1, verse 18, there's the riches of his glory. In chapter 2, verse 7, there's the exceeding riches of his glory. In chapter 3, verse 8, there's the riches of Christ. All of these are phrases depicting how wealthy God has made us in the Lord Jesus Christ, the privileges that we have. And I don't know if you've ever counted your money or not, you know, it don't take me too long. But I remember when I was a little boy and I save, I'd save up in these quart jars and I'd put it out there on the bed or something and I'd go through it. And sometimes my dad would come by and he'd toss me change and that would make me happy. But I don't want to run through the bank of God here and, and miss much of our wealth. Let's, let's, let's count our money. Let's survey our wealth. So I'm just going to take one thing that he's, that he's given. He's, he's given us all blessings in Christ. And, and the first one out of the gate he gives to us here, he shares with us here, is verse 4. I believe we have this. Give me the, the uh, fourth verse if you didn't bring your Bible. But he says that even as he, uh, and who is he here? In verse 4, what? The Father, God the Father. He, verse 4, chose us. Oh, wait a minute. Let's just back that up. Rewind. And let that kind of, just like a precious morsel of food, roll that around a little bit. He chose us. Amen. Now, that's what my text says, and that's what your text says, unless you've got the New World Translation. <clears throat> that's the Jehovah's Witness Bible, by the way. But uh, that's what it says. Now, that is a strange truth to revive a declining church, isn't it? Doesn't that seem like something that you would not normally hear? The word chose, and I, I picked at this just a little bit, uh, it's the Greek word ex lego, ex, you know the, the prefix ex, like an exit means out. And then Lego to select, to pick. So to pick out, literally, is the meaning of this word. And it was used in secular Greek of uh, someone who would go to a corral and select a horse out of, to purchase this horse. I'm going to, I'll take that one. And that's the way that the word is used. Now, the Apostle Paul uses it here to describe us. 
And he's familiar with this word. He, it is first used of him in Acts chapter 9, 9 verse 15 when he's converted. The apostle Paul was going to uh, the city to persecute and arrest Christians. And Jesus appeared to him. In fact, he fell off his horse and was blinded by the light for three days. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am the Lord whom you're persecuting. And, he, and Jesus told Ananias, said, I want you to go to that man and tell him he's forgiven, baptize him, and pray for him. For he is a chosen vessel to me. Same word used here. Paul knew this word. And Paul is using it to describe all of us who are Christians. He's a chosen vessel to me. Now in John chapter 15 and verse 16, Jesus put it like this. John 15 and 16. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Whoa. Does anybody want to correct the Lord Jesus at this point? I believe I'll leave him alone. You did not choose me. I chose you. But we all remember choosing the Lord. John R. Stott that uh, writes a commentary on Ephesians and is usually commended by most uh, Bible-believing scholars from all directions, he says this, everybody finds the doctrine of election or God choosing us to be difficult. He says, didn't I choose God, we may ask indignantly? Yes, says Stott, but only because God in eternity chose me. Didn't I decide for Christ, says another? Yes, indeed you did, and freely, but only because God in eternity decided for you. See, your decision does not produce God's decision. God's decision produces your decision because all good and grace flows from him. And remember what Paul is doing here. He's wanting to come to you and he's wanting to say, step back and just objectively look at what God has already done for you. And let that renew your heart. This idea of God choosing. Well, this is not new. We talk about the chosen people. Amen? We talk about the, the Old Testament Jews. Give me those uh, references up here. Nehemiah 9-7. Um, Nehemiah 9-7. Come. Nehemiah 9-7. There. 
you are the Lord God who chose Abram or Abraham. Psalm 106.23, what about Moses? Moses was God's chosen one. Acts 13.17, concerning the Jews. Oh, <laughs> there it is. Well, 1 Kings 8.16, I've chose David. Do you remember? Uh, let me not run past that one too quick. Remember, what, what was David doing? He was a little shepherd, and God sent Samuel out there to, he said, I have found a man after my own heart. Go out there and anoint him. And uh, he, he went and he looked, and among all of David's brothers, he said, I have not chosen any of these. And David wasn't even in the group. He said, go get him. David, I have chosen. Acts 13, 17. The God of Israel chose our fathers. Deuteronomy 14, 2. This is a great verse. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, he chose you to be his treasured possession. That's a the Jews in the Old Testament. This is an incredible thing that Paul would now come to the Ephesians, the Gentiles, and say to them, using the same vocabulary that the Old Testament uses of the Jews and of Moses and of David and of these great men of the Old Testament, and that that privilege he now sets before us as one that belongs to us as well. And he wants us to consider it. Now, I want us to have set to just put before us uh, for a few minutes here three questions, all given to us right here in our text as we look at our wealth today. Ephesians 1, 4. First of all, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. How... Did God choose us? He chose us, verse 4, in Him, that is in Christ. In Christ. What does that mean? What's, what's the significance of that? And I think the significance there is that when Jesus, when God chose you, he chose you based on the merits of the person of Jesus Christ. Because you, only, you really only have two options there. He either chose you on the basis of Christ by his death and resurrection, or he chose you on the basis of your own qualifications. He chose us in him is the way Paul puts it. He never viewed you outside the environment of Christ himself, Christ's merits. Some of you might remember, <clears throat> this is some years ago, but we had a couple of the rabbis here in Flint come to the mother church and, and uh, share with us 
some of their views on the Bible and Judaism. And one of those uh, rabbis that came one Sunday night uh, was Rabbi James Michaels at one of the, the largest synagogues here, Temple Bethel. Uh, I asked uh, Rabbi Michaels if he would have coffee with me that next week, which he agreed to do so graciously. And we sat at Borders for about an hour and discussed this whole thing of God and the Jews. And the one thing I remember asking him, and the surprising response was this. I asked him, I said, Rabbi, what do you think and what does the temple or the synagogue teach is the reason God chose the Jews. And he said to me, it's like this. God went to the Syrians and he said to the Syrians, I am God. Will you be my people? And the Syrians said, no. So God went to the Babylonians and he said to the Babylonians, I am God. Would you be my people? And the Babylonians said, no. And then he went to the Jews on Mount Sinai and he said to the Jew, to us, he said, would you be my people? And we said, yes. And he said, that's the reason God chose us. I said, that sounds more like the reason you chose him. Who chooses who? On what basis does God choose? Is it our choice or does all flow from his choice? His initiative, his sovereignty is the explanation of our salvation to be found in our choosing or is it found in his choosing? He says, the way God chose was he moved us into Christ and he chose us on the basis of Christ. That there was nothing that we could set before God that moved him regarding us. And actually, um, this in the Old Testament, when you look at, at what God says about the Jews... He said, this is Deuteronomy 9, verse 6. He says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess, the land of Canaan, because of your righteousness, he says to the Jews. For you are a stubborn people. <laughs> now this is what Moses said to the Israelites. He said, God's not giving you this. He's not doing all this for you because you're righteous, because you are a stubborn people. And he says, don't forget how you provoked the Lord to, to wrath right in the wilderness. The day you came out of Egypt, you were rebellious. They were rebellious and stubborn. He said, this is the grace of God to you. So when the first thing we want to look at is when, when we think about how did he choose us? In Christ, in Christ. That there was nothing that he viewed in us that said, oh, I've just got to have him as part of my church. He's so good-looking or he's so sweet. He's so humble. Just get him, get them, get that whole bunch. Now, when did God choose us? 
says in verse 4, even as he chose us in him, that is not in regard to us, but in regard to Christ, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose you before you were born. In fact, before your parents were born. Before Adam was born or created. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, why is that significant? That means that God, in his choosing, anticipated, since he knows all things, he knew every move the enemy would make, every problem you would face, he foreknew every one of your failures and secret sins with more accuracy than your best friend would know. He viewed every flaw and imperfection of your heart and life in the awfulness of his presence and knowing it all chose you because he chose you before the foundation of the world. That's pretty awesome that he see most of y'all are young enough your sins aren't done yet you're not done failing and floundering around you got sins to come that you don't even know about you say oh god forbid i do pray god forbid but the reality is most of us are going to sin again and god Started, see, and he doesn't start when we're born. He doesn't start when we, some people think God started with us the day we decided to become a Christian. Some people think that God started with them the day they were born. Like, okay, God, I'm here. Let the universe begin. <laughs> you can now begin the historical monument and mark the day. God does not like any good architect, he plans from before he lays the first brick of mortar. He begins before any man began. And knowing everything there was to know about you, things that you don't even know about yourself, he knew, knew it all, chose you before the foundations of the world. That means that much of, before you were a Christian, God had his hand on you even before you knew it, right? Isaiah 45, verse 1, he says, To Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, subduing nations and loosing the armor of kings, he says, I will go before you and make crooked places straight. I have called you. I have named you, though you have not known me. You didn't even know me, but I had my hand on you. I called you by your name. I opened doors for you. I'm the one who's been behind it all, and you didn't even know me. 
And that is the explanation as to how you come to where you are today is that God's hand has been on you. Why has his hand been on you? Because he didn't start with you when you started with him. He started with you before the world began. Now, why has he chosen us? Let's answer that question from the verse. This will be the next one. Why are we chosen? Ephesians 1, 4, once again. He chose us in him. That's how he chose us, in Christ. When did he choose us? Before the foundation of the world. Why did he choose us? That we should be holy and without blame before him. Some people put the words, some translators put the words in love with the next verse. But the purpose here of God's election, God's choosing us, that we should be holy. Now, don't turn those around and say, if we get holy, he'll choose us. No, he chose us to be holy. That's the direction of election. It moves us toward holiness. Do you ever wonder why you have this, this desire to worship, to pray? You feel guilty about things that a lot of your friends, it doesn't bother them. He chose us before he, to, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. That's inward and without blame. That's outward. That's the direction he's taking us. We're not fully there yet. It's before him. But, but, but we're moving that direction. Holiness without blame. That's what election ultimately produces. Give me a, um, the Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.13 uh, verse. This is, this is a great verse. It's an amazing verse of Scripture. He says, brethren, we ought to thank God for you. He writes to the Thessalonians. You are loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God chose you, same idea, to be saved. And then here's the path through the sanctifying. And that word sanctifying is the same word holy, hagios in the Greek text, to that making holy by the work of the Spirit. That's the path that he... Let no one speak of election as if there is no consequence or impact in the desires and affections of the heart and mind. As if, okay, I'm predestined, so whatever. No, you will have a passion for God and his word. You will have a passion to be holy and please the Lord. It, that stems from the very throne of God. The decree has gone forth that he chose us, yes, in him, yes, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. That's the direction of election. And let me just put it this way. We don't explain election and choosing, God's choosing of us. But rather, election and God's choosing of us explains us. Why am I like I am? 
Why do I have the problems I have? Why do I wrestle with issues in secret? Why do I have the friends I have? Why do I struggle with the problems I have? Why do I fail so much? Why do I have a guilty conscience? See, what is the explanation? Election explains my life. I can't explain election. Election explains me. Why am I here today? Why do I have a burden for the church? Why do I pray to God for others as well as myself? Why do I want my children to live right and do right? Why do I, why, why? Election, moving through history like a silent but inevitable stream of power and grace has caught me up in it. And, and in it, I have these affections and desires and feelings, and I can't shake them. And others will say, I don't get that. I don't understand you. And you can't explain it. The truth is, you're a mystery to yourself sometimes. You don't understand yourself. Christianity, genuine, deep-rooted Christianity produced by the Spirit of God can cause you problems. <laughs> it can create inner conflicts. But how do you explain the Jews? Election. How do you explain Paul? Election. How do you explain the disciples? Election. How do you explain Abraham, Moses, David? Election. These election explains us. We don't explain it. Paul says, I want you to just step back and look at what God has done before time began. You're chosen of God. Nineteen forty-one, December seventh, nineteen forty-one. Some of you know that date was the attack on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese. The kamikaze pilots and combat pilots flew in to Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. Three hours later, they had destroyed eighteen ships, one hundred and seventy planes, and killed three thousand and seven hundred men and women. The man who was selected to lead this was a 39-year-old Japanese pilot named Mitsuo. Give me that. I've got a picture. Mitsuo Fukaida. This is the way he would look. He would have looked in 1941. He. After leading a, this successful raid, he continued to be a pilot in the Japanese Navy until the Battle of Midway. In the Battle of Midway, this was in 1942, June 4, 1942. This was actually the turning point. Many people think the turning point of the war, World War II, was the Battle of Midway. And there... The, the Japanese Churchill called this the war's, the war's most dangerous moment. And the Japanese lost, I mean decisively. They, they got their planes in the air and they were shot down or the, the ship they were to land on had sunk and so they... The, but the one 
the, the thing about Fukaida, Mitsuo Fukaida, was that all his comrades got into the air. He got an attack of penicitis. A penicitis. He couldn't even stand up. So they had to help him to the hospital. So he didn't go up. All his comrades were shot down. He survived. Back in Tokyo, he made his recovery and spent the remainder of the war as a strategist and then was sent to Hiroshima August the 4th. He was to be there for a week, August 4th, 1945. While in Hiroshima, he got a call on August 5th. You got to fly back to Tokyo. We need you here for 24 hours, then we can send you back. So he, he got on a plane and went back to Tokyo on August 5th. On August 6th, they dropped the atom bomb on Hiroshima. Once again, all his friends were dead. After the war, he pondered these things. And a missionary named Jake DeShazer, who had been a captive by the Japanese in World War II, came as a missionary back to Japan and handed out tracts and Bibles Fukaida got a hold of one of these Bibles and he read the New Testament trying to understand why he would come back and talk about the love of God, the mercy of God and forgiveness when we had tortured him. And he came to Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And when he read that, he said, that's for me. Jesus was praying for me. And he asked God to forgive him through Jesus Christ. He became a Christian. And he became, then he became an evangelist. That's a, this is a book that uh, if you never find it, it's worth buying. And that's the story. His, that's his testimony from Pearl Harbor to Golgotha. He became a Christian evangelist. He was in Texas visited and speaking at the Baptist General Conventions in, in Texas to Southern Baptist up, up until 1976 when he died. What an amazing illustration of someone who is just in crucial moments, appendicitis so I can't fly. A phone call to come back to Tokyo, Hiroshima, totally destroyed. Now, I would just ask you, man, did he, was he just an example of having good luck? Is that just good luck? That is a pagan concept, dear friends. There is no luck. There is only God's gracious purposes and his choosing, his picking them out before time began. Chosen in him because nothing in us would have caused him to choose us. Before the foundation of the world, which means he knows all and chose us anyway, to be holy and blameless. Inwardly and outwardly, let us pursue the roots of our calling.